So they say sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, well, with words, ironically, I never needed a nursery rhyme to, to console me regarding sticks and stones. Words can be cutting, can't they? They can cut deeper than any stone thrown at me, and they can stick me with a sharper point than any sharp-pointed stick can stick me. That's kind of a weird sentence. Words, the power of words. I want you to know words have lasting power. I think we've all seen this. Words have lasting power. Maybe you recall a time in the past where a word hit you and it stuck. It was with you for a long time. I think about inconsiderate word of a teacher. Maybe you heard an inconsiderate word from a teacher that just stuck with you. Harsh word from a friend or maybe a careless word from a parent. Cruel word from a spouse. Words stick with us. But not only do they stick with us, they begin to to crawl under our skin and transform us from within. They begin to change the way we see the world. And a lot of times, words can take on a life of their own, and we begin to even speak those same words to ourselves. They start to live deep within us, and they give us messages, unwanted messages that speak these false truths to us things that we maybe don't want to hear about ourselves. One of the common messages they speak is this one, you don't measure up. You don't measure up. Perhaps it starts in grade school. As we hear these messages from kids and they're talking, talking about height and talking about how fast they can run and what grades they're making in class and we begin to hear this, you don't measure up. It's the chatter of, other students. We try to outdo our siblings. We try to run faster and be quicker and be smarter and be braver than the other kids. We just don't measure up. And it begins to transform into adulthood as we look at our bank accounts. Do I measure up? As we look at the clothing that we wear and our yards and our cars and our hair and our teeth. Look at our faces, our talents. And we continue to ask the question, am I measuring up? I just don't measure up. Have you heard it? We're talking about the lies of Satan. This is a a series that we're doing, Lies from the Angel of Light. And I've enjoyed this series. Today we're going to be in the book of Zechariah. If you want to turn there, Zechariah starts with a Z, so it's at the end of the Old Testament. That's not really the reason why, but it makes sense to me. Don't get stuck with Zephaniah. Go to Zechariah, okay? Uh, It's not the very last book, by the way. It's close, okay? But Zechariah, today we'll be in Zechariah. We're going to be talking about the lies of Satan. Satan's got some lies that he's going to throw at us. And one of the great lies that he throws at us is, his greatest lie perhaps even, is you don't measure up. You don't measure up. And we've seen this lie from Satan over and over and over and over again throughout scriptures. In fact, I would argue this could be perhaps one of the very first lies we see in the Bible. 
you don't have to go too far in the Bible to see this. I think even maybe on page 3 in Genesis chapter 3, here we have Satan telling Eve, telling Adam, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. And I would argue that maybe there's an under, undertone there of you're not enough. You don't measure up. You don't measure up with wisdom, with intelligence. You don't measure up. But we don't just see it there. We see it throughout Scripture. I think about Goliath as he mocks David. Y'all remember this? Who is this? It comes at me with sticks. Is it this dog, this puny runt? You know, he says, am I a dog? Once again, this idea that you don't measure up. David, you don't measure up to me. Maybe we see it in the life of Jesus as he's tested by the Pharisees. They bring a sinful woman before him who doesn't measure up to their standards, and they're trying to see if Jesus measures up to their standards. Over and over and over again, the scriptures show us this idea, this message from Satan, this lie of Satan, you don't measure up. Here's my question. If our quantifiable qualities and measurable merits don't meet societal standards, how can they meet God's standards? If I'm not good enough for you, how can I be good enough for God? And I think some of us get to that place as well, where we look around and we see, man, I'm not good enough for people. I'm not even good enough for myself. How can I be good enough for God? And what's fascinating about this is as we put this message in our head and we allow it to roll around a bit, we find ourselves trying to prove that we are enough. And in that proof, I'm enough. I do measure up. I do measure up. In that proof, we find ourselves trying once again to meet the standards of the world and slipping further and further from the standards of God because we end up serving the wrong masters. We start chasing after one treasure and we miss the other. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll be devoted, you'll love one, you'll hate the other. You can't serve God in this world. And yet we get so wrapped up in this, do I measure up? That sometimes we miss it. Now, like many of Satan's lies, this one is believable. And I want you to hear this because I think this is the challenge that we face with this lie. It's a very believable lie. In fact, I could say we even know it's true. We know we don't measure up. Just as Eve knew when she was standing there before Satan that she wasn't enough like God in her mind, we know that we don't measure up to the standards that we desire to measure up to. Scripture reminds us of this in Psalm chapter 14. If you want to look there with me, verse 2, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The message says, look, when it comes to the righteous standard of God, you don't measure up. You don't measure up. 
And so we find ourselves caught between the judgments of men and the judgments of God. And in both cases, we feel so guilty, so lacking. And maybe we try to resolve the problem. Have you ever done this? You try to resolve the problem, so you go and you seek encouragement from a friend, and that person tells you, you are good enough. You are okay. You're enough. And it's kind of like when your mother tells you that you're good looking, and you think to yourself, man, that's not what I'm hearing. That's not what I'm hearing. That's not what I'm seeing. I know the truth. I know the truth. I go to a counselor. I say, I just feel like I'm not enough. And the counselor says, you are enough. And deep down inside, deep in my soul, I think, no, I'm not. I don't measure up. When it comes to meeting God's standards, we don't. We don't measure up to God's standards. We know we're lacking. And so I want us to see the problem that we have. Satan attacks us with a very believable message. When we try to prove that message is wrong, we get further from God. And it becomes an endless cycle of chaos. How do we cope? I want to say that again. Satan attacks us with a very believable message. You don't measure up. When we try to prove it wrong, we get further from God. And it becomes an endless cycle of chaos. How do we cope? I got to believe God has an answer. I got to believe. If it's something that started off in Genesis chapter 3 and goes all the way through Jesus, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way to Jesus, all the way beyond, surely God has an answer to this riddle. And I believe that answer can be found in Zechariah. If you want to look with me in the book of Zechariah, this book is a fascinating book because it's written to the Israelites after they have come out of captivity. You guys remember they were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years and now they're coming out, coming into the nation that they once lived, once lived. And in Zechariah chapter 2, we begin this story. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time in Zechariah 2, really most of our messages in Zechariah chapter 3, but here's what, you, what I want you to know. The prophet Zechariah is receiving these visions, visions for the nation, and these visions tell him things that the people need to know. What do you tell a group of people that have just come out of exile, they've been there for 70 years, and they are completely broken? What do you say to them? People who do not measure up, what do you tell them? Well, the story begins in Zechariah chapter 2. It says, I lifted up my eyes and I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, where are you going to measure Jerusalem to see what is its width and its length? This is the way the story begins. He sees a vision and in the vision he sees someone with a measuring line and he is coming. It's an angel. He is coming to measure Jerusalem. What is its width and what is its length? I'm here to measure the city. Now, i got to tell you, biblically speaking, when you see measuring tape come out, 
When you see the plumb line, as they call it, or the measuring line come out, you need to know this, bad things are going to happen. Because what it says is this, I'm going to see if these people equal the standard. Do they meet the standard? And so here comes the angel, and he brings out the measuring tape. Let's see if they meet the standard. I can tell you this about the Israelites. They will not meet the standard. They won't measure up. I can promise you they won't measure up. Now this vision, and we're not going to spend any time here at all because the next one says what we're wanting to see and more. It says the same as this vision, but it says even more. All I want you to see in this vision is this, that he comes out with a measuring tape and God says, I'll handle this. I'll handle this. And you can read through that story and I believe God is he's stopping the measurement. But I just want to kind of lay the context here in this story for where we're going and it's this. The Israelites aren't going to measure up. They've disobeyed God and they had been punished for 70 years. Remember how all of this built up, how we get to this book in the Bible. Remember the Israelites had kings and they disobeyed God. It even goes all the way back to wandering in the wilderness. We start way back in the beginning. Here the Israelites are in Egypt. And they come out of Egypt and they're wandering with Moses and they're not faithful to God. And they finally land in the promised land after 40 years and they're not faithful to God. We have the story of the judges. And then we have the story of the kings and they're not faithful to God. And we go through all these characters and they're not faithful to God. And finally, God has had enough and God says, you don't measure up, you're not measuring up. And he puts them into captivity. And now they come out of captivity and they are a broken people. So what's God going to tell them? What's God going to tell the people who historically have not measured up and are very broken in need of him? What does he say to them? Well, God responds three ways in Zechariah chapter 3. He's going to respond three ways. What do you say to people who need affirmation but do not deserve it? God responds three ways in this vision. So let's start the vision together in chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. As we begin the story, I want you to imagine that you're there. We're going back, we're just going to teleport ourselves out of today and into the story. It's 525 BC, more or less. And you have just been teleported into a scene. And here's the scene. There is Joshua, the high priest of the Israelites. The Israelites have just come home out of captivity. And standing before you is Joshua, the high priest. And he's about to begin his job. And I want you to know this. He looks run down. He looks pretty pathetic. He has been with these guys for a long time. He has watched. He grew up in a system that was very broken, and he saw broken people. And now here he is, and he's the guy 
who is going to work in a broken temple that once had beautiful artifacts that have been stolen and taken. And here he is, and he's going to work in this broken temple, and he is going to offer sacrifices for this broken people. And Satan sees him, and Satan points at him, and he says, you don't measure up. Satan accuses him. You're not enough for God. You're not enough for these people. You're not enough. Have you heard the message before? You don't measure up. That's exactly what he feels. Joshua the high priest is standing there, and Satan is pointing. Now, why is God using Joshua the high priest? Joshua represents the people of this time. And so this is the way they kind of all are experiencing this time in history. They knew the stories of how amazing Israel was. And now here they find themselves in this situation. They just don't measure up. And there's Satan right there. I mean, isn't he always right there when we don't want him there pointing and saying, you're not enough. You don't measure up. Verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? The first thing we see in this passage is that God rebukes Satan. He rebukes Satan and he says, This is a bruised reed. This is a smoldering wick, an iron plucked from the fire. He says, I know this guy. I know Joshua. I know his story. I know how he got here. I want you to see God's response. God's response, number one, his response is this. I know you. I know you. After he rebukes Satan, he looks at Joshua and he says, I know him. Here we are. We're standing before God in our brokenness in our pain, not measuring up. And you know what God says to us? I know you. I know you. I was there. I was there in elementary school when that person said that thing to you. I was with you when that person did that thing to you. I saw you. I saw your brokenness. I saw your woundedness. I plucked you from the fire. I know you. I want you to know it's good news when we don't measure up to know that God knows us. He knows us. He knows how we got here. He knows what situations led to this. He understands. He understands where no one else will. Your best friend, your spouse, your children, they can't understand you the way he can understand you. He knows you. There's a very strong connection to this idea in the story of the woman caught in adultery. As Jesus is writing with his finger in the sand, if you look historically, you look biblically at fingers writing in the Bible, God writing with his finger, there's a strong correlation with this idea, I know you. I know you. And here Jesus is writing with his finger in the sand, and there's a strong correlation biblically with this idea. Here's this woman caught in adultery, and Jesus says, look, whoever's not sinned, you throw the first stone. And Jesus begins to write it with his finger in the sand, and this message 
this undertone that's not said but kind of felt is this. Jesus knows you. He knows you. Isn't it good to know in our pain and our sorrow that Jesus knows us? God knows us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you actually trusted in that truth? That God knows you. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you search me and you know me. You know when I lie down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before words on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in before behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. I want you to hear that last line. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain it. The writer, the psalmist is saying this, you know me so well, I can't even wrap my head around it. You know me better than I know myself. Do you believe that you have a God who knew you in your mother's womb? Who formed you and created you? He knew your personality. He knew your DNA, your genetics. He knew you before you were even born. He knew your soul. Psalmist says, you know everything about me. And it's just too much for me to wrap my head around. God knows you. He knows you. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're going through. He knows you. In fact, God knows you better than you even know yourself. Let's continue on. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from here. I want you to see why Satan's attacking him in this moment. Satan has a reason to attack. Joshua, the high priest, is filthy. He's wearing filthy garments. And Satan's pointing and says, see, see, you look how gross he is. See. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put on a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with, with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. The next thing God does in the story is he cleanses Joshua. He heals him. He cleanses him. He makes him clean. So here's God's response. Number one, I know you. Number two, let me heal you. I can heal you. I want you to know when you're standing before God and you say, I don't measure up, God's response is, I know. I know you. I can heal you. I can make you clean. Which is exactly what happens in the story. God heals them. God can heal you better than you can even heal yourself. Once again, what do I do when I'm in that moment and I'm broken and I don't measure up? What do I do? I try to measure up by the world's standards and fall more and more in the trap of being judged by flesh. Instead of just submitting myself to him, letting him take control. And the way we see this initially is, is through this question. Have you been to the waters of baptism? Because it's at the waters of baptism that we begin the process of letting him heal us. Have you gone to those waters and let him cleanse you? 
God can heal you. So here's God's response. Number one, I know you. Number two, I can heal you. Here's response number three. I demand obedience. I demand obedience. Look at what he says in verse six. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you'll walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. He says, there is a calling for you, Joshua, and it's a high calling. I demand obedience. It reminds me of Jesus as Jesus says this, if you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus looks at Jesus looks at the crowds and he says, I love the tax collector. I accept the tax collector. I love the sinner. I accept, I love the woman caught in, I accept the woman caught in adultery. I love the fisherman. I love the broken. And I heal the broken. And when I heal the broken, I love them enough to demand more from them. I love them enough to demand more from them. Follow me, obey me, keep my commandments. God loves you too much to let you just stay where you are at in life. He calls you to a higher calling. Of course we don't meet his standard. Yet he continues to cleanse us and demand we conform to his standard. I want you to hear it. We don't meet his standard and yet... As he cleanses us, he demands that we conform to his standard and to his likeness. That's God's response. And this is Christianity 101. I know you, I can heal you, and I demand obedience. I want to wrap this up. Here's the funny thing to me. When I look at this story, I don't think Satan thinks he's lying. I don't think Satan thinks he's lying. I think Satan believes he's telling the truth. Joshua, you don't measure up. I think he's just accusing. I think he's pointing out truth in his mind. You don't measure up. Which creates this amazing dilemma because we have this righteous God who has this holy standard. And Satan's saying... Why in the world would you accept this man? He is so filthy. And when you look at the text, God gives us an answer at the very end of this, at the very end of this story. He gives us an answer. Look in verse 8. He says, I will bring my servant the branch. Verse 9, he says he's going to bring a rock. And on a single day, he will take away the sins of the world. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus who shows God's acceptance and love. Jesus who shows God's ability to heal. Jesus who shows God's higher standard in calling for Christianity. My question for you today is, when you hear, I don't measure up, will you hold on to those messages of Jesus, those messages of Zechariah, those messages of God, 
that says this, I can heal you. I know you. I can heal you. And I demand obedience. I don't know where you're at in this story. Maybe you feel like the broken people who have just come home and you just want to know that you need love. You want to know that God knows you. I want you to know he does. Maybe you're one of these people who hasn't been healed yet. You're still seeking healing. You haven't started off the process and come to the waters of baptism. You haven't confessed him as your Lord and Savior and your master. I want to tell you, maybe it's time that you let him start healing you. Or maybe you've done both of those things. You know God, you know you have value, you know he can heal you, but you're not meeting the righteous standard because you are not following him the way he has called you to follow him to obedience. And I'm here to tell you, maybe it's time we just become obedient to him. This is the calling of God. I want to challenge you today to hear the message of Zechariah, to see a God who can clean you, who can heal you, and who calls you to greatness. If you need anything from this body, we are here to serve you today. Won't you come now as we stand and as we sing together?